We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In curiosity, I find joy. And so that curiosity is experiencing things for the very first time. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in possible. Welcome into another episode of Our Stories, a KCSN podcast on uh, women's sports in Kansas City, presented by our wonderful friends at Holiday Distillery. And so excited for our guest today, one of the greatest golfers to ever come out of the state of Kansas, three-time state champ, national champion, six-time LPGA champ. I'm going to stop there because it would just be the rest of the episode of me listing your accomplishments. Deb Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for, for taking the time. I am so happy to have the opportunity to have a conversation with you once again. I, you know how passionate I am in the pursuit of following stories of female athletes, so I'm happy to be here. Your incredible career, it's taken you all over the world and into the world of philanthropy, and you've given so much back through your platform, but uh, I want to start with who got you to pick up a golf club in the first place in, in Manhattan, Kansas? It actually was a family challenge. Um, I played all kinds of sports, had never played golf, never thought about golf. And, you know, my brother and I, our friends belong to the country club uh, in Manhattan. And we were like, oh, we want to belong to the club so we can hang out in the summers with our friends. And, you know, for our family, we're a very middle class family. And it was a big decision uh, for my parents to finally go, we're going to do it. But here's the deal. Uh we're going to join the club, but we're going to take up golf as a family sport. And we were like, yeah, shoot, whatever. No problem. <laughs> we'll do that, you know, just to have the opportunity to be at the club. And it was a very humbling experience for me uh, when I first started playing because I was so bad and I was oh, so nice. good at everything else I did. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was the one who really didn't love it at first. And I thought, oh, God, it's family golf day again. Here we go. 
Um, but I was very blessed that, uh, so my parents signed us up for junior golf lessons and the teaching pro at our local club pulled my dad aside one day and said, I think Deb has a lot of talent. I'd like to teach her how to play the game one-on-one. Um, but there is one caveat. It has to be because Deb wants to do it. And if she wants to do it, I'm not going to charge you for the lessons. So my dad comes home and he tells me this. I think it's the coolest thing I've ever heard. You know, that here was somebody who saw something in me I definitely didn't see because I thought I was terrible, um, <laughs> but wanted the opportunity to coach me. And one of my favorite things in life is being coached, uh, which is ironic that I'm now a coach. But um, I enjoyed that so much. And so he took me under his wing. And it's all because of Ron Schmetterman that I've had the life and the career that I have. Yeah, that cracks me up that you hated it when you started because (laughs) (laughs) I feel like so many people are like, yeah, as soon as I touched the club, I knew it was meant for me. So when did you realize, you know, I'm pretty good at this? Um, It took about a year and a half of really spending a lot of time with Ron and getting a little better at the game. And I went to the Kansas State Junior Championships and I won my age group. And trust me, there was nothing pretty about it. But it flipped the way I thought about the sport, that with all the other sports I'd played were team sports. And I had never been in a situation where I could see the outcome being 100% reflective of how much I was putting into it. So the harder I worked, the better I got and the better the results I got. And that was all on me. And that was like the perfect scenario for me because nobody was going to outwork me. Nobody was going to, you know, outdo the effort level that I was going to put into it. And I started getting it everything I had and, and it rewarded me for it. Yeah. Yeah. So much so to where Manhattan high is where you went for high school, right? Yes. Three times state champ out of Manhattan high. Did you think about staying in Manhattan for college or did you know you were, you were going to go out of state? I knew I was going to go out of state. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I had the opportunity. I had played just enough and just well enough in the national tournaments. I hadn't won anything or done anything like that, but I had played well enough to be on everybody's radar. So all the top schools were talking to me. Um, and I was, that's a very fortunate situation to be in, especially a girl growing up playing golf in Kansas, which was a rarity. Um, But to have all those coaches uh, interested, um, expressing interest in me coming, or at least going to their institutions was a real rush for me. I I enjoyed recruiting season a lot. Um, Obviously, I fell in love with the University of Florida. The minute I stepped on campus, I, I think for a lot of students, but especially student athletes, you step on one campus and you're like, this is it. There's yeah, no doubt me. about it in my mind. I'm in love. This is where I want to go. And, yeah. it, uh, and it was the perfect place for me to go. Yeah, and you had a ton of success there. But I wanted to quickly jump to so growing up now, you you talk about young girls golfing in Kansas, obviously not the most popular sport we have here, but girls golfing right now can look up to I want to be Deborah Shard. I want to get to the level she was at. <laughs> who did you did you have anyone to look up to? Who were your kind of role models 
in, in golf when you were growing up? Interestingly enough, Tom Watson was. You know, yeah. he was from Kansas City. He was out on the tour. He was in his prime. Um, I followed his career immensely. Women's golf wasn't on TV. Um, there wasn't anything for me to really chase and follow that way. So from a professional standpoint, I would say that Tom probably had the biggest influence on me outside of Ron, who taught me. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. We had Tamika Dixon on the show who played basketball at KU, and growing up, she wanted to be the first woman in the NBA because the WNBA didn't exist, and, you know, she didn't have – so she became that role model she didn't have. So, um, yeah, I was curious if, if you had anyone, uh, but it's cool that you were able to become that person for other people. So I – the last time we talked, I loved your story getting to Florida – <laughs> to a national championship. I'm wondering if you can run us through uh, the uh, the absolute ride that was to getting to your ultimate goal of, of winning a national title for the Gators. So I told you when I stepped on campus on my recruiting trip, I fell in love with it. And I knew, okay, this is where I want to go. And there's this amazing psychological switch that happened where – you, they brought me in, they were expressing interest in me, and I was the one going, okay, well, we'll see, we'll see, you know, whatever, as I'm going through these trips. And then when I got to Florida, I knew it was where I want to go. And then suddenly now, before I leave Gainesville on my recruiting trip, I, I'm like, oh, I really want to come here. I have to come here. So I'm switching the dialogue. So I'm in the parking lot with Coach Ryan. And she asked me, she said, do you have any more questions for me you know, before you leave? And I said, I, I am curious about one thing. I said, you've had a lot of talented teams here, but you've never won a national championship. Why is that? And she said, we're working on it. And I said, I'll tell you, what. you give me my full ride scholarship to come to the University of Florida. I will get you that first national championship. Now, where I am in my life today, you know, my head explodes. Yeah, <laughs> thinking about that. Yeah. Because I'd never 17? won a national championship. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're 17, 18 years old at this point? I'm 17 years old. I've never won yeah. a national championship individually yeah. or on a team, and I'm promising it. I love that. And I get my full ride. Um, I go to Florida. It was a very interesting ride. Um, my first three years, we came close, but we didn't do it. Um, and I actually contemplated leaving after my junior year to turn pro. I was bored. I had a lot of other stuff going on in my world. Um, and I had told Coach Ryan that, and that went over like a ton of bricks. Um, and then we would go to nationals my junior year, and it was a very underperformance by the team, by myself. And yeah, I was just so disappointed in me that here it is, somebody invested so much in me had taken me on my word and brought me in and done all these things for me for three years. And I was walking away and that's just not who I am. It's not who I wanted to be moving forward. I spent a lot of time in reflection about that going, I need to make this right. Um, so I went in to see Coach Ryan before leaving town. I begged her to bring me back and she said, yes. Um, and I told her, I said, I know this is 
asking a lot. I said, but is there any chance I could get my scholarship back too? Because I really can't afford to come here without it. And she said, well, let me tell you something, Deb. You chose to tell me about this great decision you were making about wanting to turn pro and not come back for your senior year. After recruiting season was over by a month. I could have given your scholarship away to anybody who deserved <laughs> it. So, yes, you can have your scholarship back. There it is. Yeah. And, you know, it turned out to be the greatest making something great out of something bad, you know, and owning up to having made a mistake because you mentioned it already. We go on. We do win nationals. Because I stayed amateur, I Ended up playing in the U.S. Women's Amateur that summer. I won the U.S. Amateur. Uh, I got to represent the United States and Hong Kong in the World Amateur, and I won the World Am. The U.S. team won the World Am. So I, so after making all this right, I go on this next nine-month stretch and play the best golf of my life, and I am rewarded every which way I turn. And that's such a foundational piece of who I am as a coach and who I am today as a person, that there's so much value that comes in making things right when you know you've made mistakes, because it's really when we make mistakes, that's when we learn. That's when we get on the growth curve and we get to find out about ourselves. Winning, that's just a blip and a celebration. That's all good. It's great. But it's really when we have setbacks that we learn the most about ourselves and we have the opportunity to do things great. Yeah, I can, hearing that story, I can feel the secondhand anxiety of walking into that office and having to talk to your coach and ask for your scholarship back. And, uh, but as you said, gosh, what a lesson and, and, and what a nice thing to look back on. And I guess see, you know, you never know what it would have happened if you would have turned pro, but all the good things that came out of that, I mean, it's just hindsight's twenty twenty. but what a great decision to, to stay amateur and, and to ride out your, you know, ride out your career. I think about that a lot. I think about it more than you might think I would. Yeah. I don't know that my life and my career would be recognizable because I would not be the U.S. Women's Amateur Champion. I would not have played on the World Amateur Team and gone to Hong Kong. I wouldn't have had that national championship. I wouldn't have had all these things that became the bedrock of my confidence and my belief. Um, There's such a difference between – Having confidence in I think I can and confidence of knowing I've done it. There's a huge Grand Canyon between the two. And I didn't realize that until I won the AM. But then what that whole mindset shift, when you're in that situation again, you know how to do it. There is, it is a truism that you have to learn how to win. It doesn't just happen. You really have to learn how to do it. And once you learn how to do it, it gets easier. Yeah. Yeah. So how does it feel winning that national championship? And look, and this was in what year was the national title? The year you won it? 1985. 85. What did did it feel like looking back on that 17-year-old kid that walked onto campus promising a national championship and to know you had done it? It was a celebration like no other celebration I've ever been a part of. And it was even, look, the U.S. amateur defined me. Winning the national title at the University of Florida with that team was the greatest celebration and victory for so many reasons. I mean, 
because I almost didn't come back, uh, there was the best team that had ever played at Florida. We won everywhere. We won everything. We were the number one ranked team all year. The pressure was on us. It was everything. We just had to, everything to lose because everyone expected us to win, and we did it. Um, and it was the most satisfying thing in the world to be able to look at Coach Ryan and say, nobody deserves us more than you. And it was it was so meaningful to be able to deliver that. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, chills thinking about that. <laughs> uh, so you finally do go pro. Um, what was it like, you know, making that transition into into the LPGA and, and getting your card and, you know, moving on in your career? It was actually easy. And I I I do mean that with a whole lot of sincerity and a whole lot of grounding. Um, I made it through qualifying school in my first attempt, and that was a big deal. I think had I not made it through qualifying school my first time, then the pressure would start to ramp because you can only qualify for the tour once a year. Right. So there's a lot of pressure in that moment, and I played well. I finished in the top ten. You know, I get my card, and I just I, – everything – I just keep moving on. You know, it's, I'd had, like I said, I'd had that nine months of the best success of my life. So this was just, the snowball was still going down the mountain. Things were still building. I was getting better and, and I had a good rookie year. And um, looking back on it, it's kind of storybook. Um, it was, really wasn't until I started having the injuries that it was like, oh, I, I can't think about this. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a very smooth transition. It was exciting. Uh, I wasn't intimidated by it. I'd played in four or five women's opens at that point. I'd played in the Nabisco Dinosaur. I, so I had experience playing with the tour players. Uh, so I wasn't uncomfortable when I got out there. Yeah. And was it your second year where you got your first win? It was my second year, yeah. and I have a I have a great history with almost all my four wins. That one of my caddies, and I said one of the two, um, said, "Deb, you really need to go play this golf course. Um, it's just made for you." And I was like, "Really? Are you sure? Okay, all right, I'll go play." And twice in my career that happened, and so I. I talked into going to Rochester, New York. The golf course was so much like Manhattan Country Club. It was a shot maker's golf course, small greens. It was everything I grew up with. And I was like, you were right. I need to be here. And first time on the golf course, I do get my first win on tour. And it's, I, I never missed Rochester again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, gosh. Um, and so I guess, how did the second one come along and the third one? Was the first one the sweetest one, or did they keep kind of feeling like, you know, every time you did it, it was just like a that Florida-level celebration? It's not like I won so much that it was old hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. Um, every one of them felt like such a great achievement. It was still that dream come true. Yeah. yeah wanted it since I was you know 13 14 years old yeah and every victory had a story 
I think was the fun part. Mm -hmm. um, they're all incredibly special. They were all very different. Um, the first one always remains incredibly special because I developed such a relationship with the community of Rochester. Um, for your listeners who don't know, uh, all professional golf tournaments are 501c3s, nonprofits. Um, and the business model behind professional golf is we give back to the communities where we play to make those communities better. Um, and it, I had awareness and understanding of that prior to winning at Rochester, but it really came to life after I won there. And they asked me to come back and visit their summer camps for disabled kids, which were the beneficiary of that particular event. And I said, absolutely, I would love to come and visit kids. And so glad I did because that was the game changer of my life, not my golf, of my life. Um, I go to camp and so all these campers, they're eight to 11 years old. They've come together. They're singing me songs. They had signs for me and balloons and all kinds of fun stuff. And there's this little girl in the front row holding flowers and they got to the end of the songs and the other campers next to her kind of elbowing her, go, go. And so she's very, very little girl. And she slowly starts walking towards me. So I squatted down because I wanted to be eye level with her. And she didn't say a word. And I said, are those for me? She kind of gently nodded her head. And I gave her a hug. And she's the most fragile child I'd ever held in my life. And something changed in me that moment. And... I'm going to fast forward, and as a defending champion, you do a media day. And uh, the tournament organizers came to visit me on tour in preparation for media day. And they said, Deb, it was your first win. It was the dream come true. What has been the most lasting memory of that win, the most impactful part of getting it? I said, my answer is going to surprise you. I said, it's going to be meeting the little girl at camp. They had no idea what I was talking about. I didn't know her name. I, I didn't know anything. It was just, She was just that little girl at camp. And so they wanted to know more about it. I told them the story. And I said, the thing that changed for me is that I realized when I was inside the ropes, as much as I was doing that in front of thousands of people every day, Everybody was sharing in that moment. It was intensely personal because it was all the sacrifice I made, everything Ron had put into me, my family sacrifices. It was everything close to me. It was about all of that. But when I had that little girl, I realized when I got outside the ropes, I had a platform to change the world. And I wanted to do something with it. So I'm standing there in media day and I wasn't playing well my third year on tour. I was doing swing changes, and it was just an average year, and the media's got nothing to ask me. Um, so they're asking me about other players, and it's like any athlete. You don't want to spend media time talking about other athletes. You're like, yeah, 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 okay. Uh, so we get to the end of it, and they say, Deb, we have a surprise for you. Okay. I love surprises, by the way. Um, 
So we go, and at the back of the room, they open these French doors, and there's that little girl mm. with flowers and a dress standing there. I lost it. I, I lost it. And so I walked towards her, and she kind of walked towards me, and I said, I have to ask you something. And she looked at me, and I said, what is your name? <laughs> yeah. And her name is Jessica, and she became my North Star. And everything that I have done on a philanthropic standpoint, the foundation work, all the different things that I've done, it's because of her. And um, I tell people that when you have an opportunity to go and do something that puts you outside your norm. And so for me, going and visiting the camps was outside my norm. Most... A lot of tour players don't say yes to that moment. And my motto is say yes. Go do it. Um, because you just never know when you're going to have that moment that changes the entire trajectory of your life. And that moment did that for me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, sorry to interrupt. i got to tell you about one of today's sponsors, and that is Dave. If you're living paycheck to paycheck or struggling to make ends meet, it can be really stressful when unexpected expenses come up. Now Dave can help you get in and out of a pinch when you really need it. Dave is the banking app that can give you up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank, buy a wedding gift, or catch up on your bills. Trust me, you need it in this economy. You can finally tackle those expenses that you've been stressing out and, and without any huge hangups, and, and that's great. There's no interest, no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get their financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand from future you. Here's what you got to do. Got to go download the Dave app from the App Store right now. App Store of your choice. It's everywhere. Use promo code KC Sports when you go download that app. That's D A V E. Sign up for an extra cash count and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve. Member FDIC. Future you will thank you. This podcast is also brought to you by Trade Coffee. Listen, me personally, I'm not that big of a coffee drinker, but if I do drink coffee, when I do drink coffee, because it does happen... 
I want it to be the finest beans, the finest source coffee, because I don't want to drink any crap. And at Trade Coffee, they're incredible. They connect customers with the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. There's one in Topeka that I've had. It's absolutely incredible. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns, and Trade Customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest so source of new growth for them. So if you love to help out small businesses, you're going into trade. Trade helps out these small businesses by getting you guys into contact. And I know, especially in this economy, you want to help out these small businesses as, as much as you can. And Trade Coffee sends you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters, small businesses, farmers who pay their prices to sustainably source their beans. And whenever your friends call you a coffee snob, or you just know that when coffee tastes really perfect, that's Trade's real expert coffee experts. They've got these over 450 experts and 450 roasts that they know exactly what to recommend for you. Because the truth is, what I like in my coffee is not the same what you guys like in your coffee. That's why they got the quiz to, to directly cater uh, to what you like, to what you want in your coffee. And they will match you with the perfectly the perfectly tailored coffee for you. And Trade delivers a bag of freshly roasted coffee as whole beans or grounds. You get to choose that. Personally, I like to grind my own stuff. So I like to get the, the whole beans. It tastes fresher. French press that stuff. It's delicious. You know, however you want to brew it, you can brew it however you want it. They'll get you the coffee. Trade has delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee with more than over 750,000 positive reviews. That's incredible. Can't get that many people to agree on anything this year. Any, in, in any time. But right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off their first order plus free shipping. When you go to drinktrade.com slash KCSN, that's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash KCSN and let Trade find a coffee that you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash KCSN for $30 off. Now let's get back to the show. What a beautiful story. Gosh, and and this launched uh, a career, a lifetime of um, just giving back to your communities and things. Can you talk about some of the efforts that you've done since since that moment of meeting Jessica? <laughs> so the most obvious one is I started <laughs> Deborah Shark Foundation. Yep, that that was the obvious one. Uh, it was a real learning curve for me because uh, my father is a physics professor. My mom worked with him in the physics department. Education, very important to me. Um, and I always felt like education really was a gateway to future success. So when I did the Deborah Shard Foundation, I wanted to help physically disabled kids. Um, and at first I started raising money and Jessica had uh, juvenile arthritis in every one of her joints. It's she had it as bad as anybody I've ever seen. Um, and so we started off raising money for that. And I wasn't fulfilled. I was like, this isn't cutting it for me to just raise money and then hand it over. Like, no, I really want to be doing this. So we developed a, a scholarship program. And we uh, gave out $25,000 college scholarships to physically disabled kids to go to the institution of their choice. And... For a lot of these kids, institutions do offer um, tuition board um, for disabled kids. But for a lot of these kids, the difference maker is all the other things. 
whether they need note takers, maybe they need somebody to fix them their meals, maybe, you know, transportation, whatever that was. That's what our scholarship covered. It was to take care of all those things above and beyond um, so that you really could have a college life. And we put 13 kids through school. Um, and then we ran into HIPAA, uh, which most people doing that type of work will run into eventually. So after that, we fully endowed the scholarship program at the University of Florida, and it's still ongoing. It'll go on forever. Um, and we've put anywhere from one to three new kids a year in the program. So but we've got right now, we have six kids in Florida on the scholarship program going through. Life so that was the first one. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It, life changing. And it's changed so many lives already. So many lives to come. And it started with that one hug in Rochester, yes. New York. Yeah. That's just the yes. most beautiful story. Um, Gosh, so so you're doing this the entire time you're you're playing professionally. When did you decide um, it was time to to step down from from your pro career? Uh, I had started racking up injuries. Yeah, uh, I had had one, two, three surgeries. The third one, pretty major surgery, and I had I had never reached a point after that third surgery where. I had the endurance to do the work that I felt like I needed to do in my heart and in my mind to feel like I could win. Sometimes I could get it in my head. My heart was never there. Um, and for me, I'd always said that if I didn't feel like I could win, I wasn't just going to keep playing to play. Uh, I never wanted to be that person. I knew I had other dreams and other things I could go chase. Um, and ironically, um, on the <laughs> I'm on the sixth tee at Rochester, and I'm standing there on the tee, and I went, "This is it. Wow, I'm ready. I'm done." And my body just it couldn't do it anymore. So I think it was. The way it was supposed to be, the dream started in Rochester, New York, and the dream ended in Rochester, New York. And I said this to a lot of people because I took everybody by surprise. I hadn't talked to anybody about it. My family didn't know. Caddy didn't know. No. Um, but I've always said I was the most peaceful person of anyone with the decision. I, I just I knew and I was ready and. It was at that point, because my body was so worn out, it was a relief. Yeah. And that night I went, it was good. I'm happy. Mm. That's yeah. how I left the sport. Yeah. There's something so peaceful when you when you know, even if it's sad to close a chapter, when you know it's it's the right time. Um, gosh, I think you're such an incredible role model of of putting everything you have into your sport and competing at the top level, but also using that platform to give back in unbelievable ways. And, and now you've taken a lot of the skills through your golf career into your career in the business realm um, as a leader of your own, of your own company. Can you kind of talk about what life uh, post golf has looked like and, and how you've taken the lessons learned over the years and a ridiculously successful career into, into your, um, your post career, your second career. Yeah, my career has many facets, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, my company is Burlap Leaders. Um, as I mentioned very early in our discussion, that it was the opportunity to be coached one-on-one that really excited me and got me engaged with golf in a way that I wasn't before. Um, and now I am that coach. Um, there are a lot of things that snowball into that. And one, being coached by Ron was the greatest gift in the world. And not that Ron technically was the best golf coach walking the planet. He was the best coach walking the planet. And he understood that learning was hard. Uh, he knew that in me, he had somebody who was really hard on themselves. You know, I, it took me a long time to get past that chasing perfection because perfection doesn't exist. Listeners, perfection doesn't exist. Telling <laughs> yeah, it. Anything else. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, perfection is totally in the eye of the beholder. Um, yeah. And it's a false chase. Um, and you really can drive yourself crazy with it. But Ron gave me a lot of grace. And there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, the second piece of it is that I was playing a sport that teaches you so much about yourself because it is you and the golf course. Uh, you can say you're playing against the other players. Yes, but you can't control any of that. You know, in, in team sports, you're competing against that. You can't influence what your opponent's doing. You can't in golf. There's only one thing you can control, and that's yourself. And it's yourself and your navigation of that golf course, how you're feeling that day and everything else. So golf teaches you resilience in spades. Um, it teaches you an independence and a self-reliance that is incredible, a self-confidence. So, you know, my company is Burlap Leaders, and I, I refer to it that way as burlap. It's strong, it's durable, it's adaptable, it's protective, it's, it's all these things. And if you look at the fibers of burlap, they're very interwoven, and they have so much character to them, so much context to them. Well, that's life. And so to me, great leaders have burlap. They have that context. They have that interwoven. They, they know how to adapt to the circumstances around them. And I coach to that. So it's being able to know yourself at a very deep level about why I do the things I do, why I think the way I do, why I respond the way I do. And then the reflective piece of that, it gives me greater openness and insight to why someone else is reacting the way they are. Why are they doing what they're doing? And being able to ask the questions, being curious. So why, why did you do that? Here's what I might have done. Why would you do that? I, I, I just want to know. I think that's cool. Um, I think the ability to be able to do that, especially in a world today with so much confrontation and there's so much um, hesitancy to really invest in understanding a different point of view. 
I want people investing in that other point of view and being able to have those conversations without threat. Um, it's not that I'm necessarily going to change the way I think or anything else, but if I gain a greater understanding about how someone else is thinking, then there's opportunity to be able to get to a conversation that's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are based in, in Kansas City, right? Kansas City area? Yep. yep. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, we've talked about this a little bit before, but the 50th anniversary of Title IX just came around and I think it was a really good time for people. And I hope we continue these conversations of reflecting on how much things have changed over the last 50 years and how important opportunities in sports are beyond, as you said, when you're outside of the ropes, you know, when you're off the court, when you're off the pitch, what have you noticed in terms of, um, I guess, how sports have have changed you and the people you're you're teaching and consulting with in, in the world of leadership coaching in terms of um, how, I guess, how it empowers women, you know, as they move on to different areas of their life? I think about 99% of the executive women that I work with, they've all played sport. Yeah. You know, they are my age and younger. So they've all had the benefit of Title IX. And it and it really doesn't matter what sport you grow up playing. It's that you did. Mm -hmm. uh, sport, sport is so important in learning how to win, how to lose, how to cooperate with others, how to how to elevate, how to bring the best of yourself and encourage the best of someone else. Go, oh, there's a whole other level here. Uh, all of that translates into being successful in the business world. And so I think the Title IX, without any doubt in my mind, I would say this with 100% certainty, it's made it possible for women to, to break so many of those glass ceilings in corporate America, we still have so far to go. I mean, yeah. We really, really do. Um, but it's interesting how in some arenas in, uh, where you've had the first female CEO in that area, oh, and here comes the second one, and here comes the third one. So it's, you're seeing it more in verticals, and there's some verticals that are just failing, but there's some verticals that are thriving. And it's, it's very exciting to see the influence of sport for each and every one of them and how they go about finding success. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, it's yeah life-changing. I mean, it's, it's impacted every area of my life from the people I'm surrounded with, um, you know, like-minded people who are, um, Gosh, I love conversations with you and listening to, to just your mindset and the way you've approached life and how you've taken uh, the lessons learned off the ropes and just lifted people up around you your entire life in, in sports and, you know, nonprofit work and, and now in your work in, the, in corporate. Um, question I ask everyone before we close the show is this podcast is called Our Stories. So looking back on all of your success, everything you've done in your career, what is the one thing you hope people take away from your story uh, after they listen to this? Nobody a does it. <laughs> Just a little question. Yeah. 
nobody does it alone. Yeah. Right. So I had incredible support from my family. Ron saw something in me I didn't see in myself. I had no intention of playing the U.S. Amateur the year I won it. Judy Bell, also from Kansas, said, Deb, you're one of the top players in the country. You have to go. I expect to see you there. That's the only reason why I went to play. Um, it has always been other people. My promise to Coach Ryan, why didn't I leave Florida? It's because of her. You know, my caddies played incredible roles in my life. Um, to this day, everything that I do, it's because I have really solid relationships with incredible people. They keep helping me grow. And for me, that's the most important thing. I always want to feel like I'm growing. I love the process. I love the process more than the outcome. Um, that That's what revs my engine. Um, because in the process, when I bring new people into my world, and that's always exciting to me, and that's very joyful to me. And so I'll leave you with this, that I have learned through all my work that very early in my life, there was a seed planted that in curiosity, I find joy. And so that curiosity is experiencing things for the very first time. Those are the things I love the most. So it's meeting new people. It's taking vacations to places I've never been. And my greatest love will always be playing a golf course for the first time. Deb, this is a treat. I love hearing you tell your story and it's inspirational to me and I know so many other people. So again, thank you for taking the time today and, and uh, best of luck. We'll have to grab coffee soon. I would love to do that. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk with you.